The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening, and uh, welcome to our last class for the five-week intro to meditation class. And uh, as we're allowing for people to come, still come in, do any of you have any questions about the meditation, doing it at home, practicing it, the instructions? Anyone of you like to do a little report about how it's going? Anything? Yes, yeah, so, so if you can also. I actually uh, found the last class uh, practicing about the thought was yeah. kind of very uh, tough. You know, I was. Uh, it was very easy to over get lost in the thought ah. and uh, and I don't even realize that I'm actually lost in the thought but, but, but was that happening because of the instructions or before the instructions no not really I was just trying what is there ah. in the I see so you, so then so bringing attention any 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 kind of attention to thinking uh-huh. and you get pulled into it yeah uh-huh. and get pulled into it and then it uh, then after a long time I realized that oh I am like lost yeah, somewhere uh-huh, uh-huh. so does it actually then does it uh, still a mindfulness or I am like no, if you're lost in it then it's not, it's not mindfulness no I'm lost but then I realize that I am lost and then that, that's mindfulness okay. as soon as you realize you're mindful as soon as you realize you're thinking you're back in the present moment yeah it was kind of like pulling back and forth it was uh-huh. a little tiring uh-huh. i tried uh-huh. two three days and uh, so you so you got an experience of how strong the pull to thinking can be yeah. and how d- difficult it can be to pull back sometimes it feels like a rubber band in the, on there pulling you in staying with it absolutely and uh, so you don't have to uh, so when you sit and meditate uh, you you could ignore your thoughts if you're able to stay present. Mm-hmm. It's only when the thoughts become so strong mm-hmm. that it's hard to meditate. Then that's when you turn and recognize them. Yeah. And one of the one of the ways to help you from getting caught up in them, lost in them, is if you use the mental notes. The, if you just say mm-hmm. to yourself, thinking, remembering, planning. And there's something about just very very softly, quietly naming what's happening with thinking uh, helps you stay a little bit removed. So you don't get carried away in it. And I had a hard time to differentiate between thinking and the feeling about, about the third class. Uh-huh. So I was kind of uh, not able to uh, find out which comes first. Uh-huh. So is it feelings which actually create the thinking uh-huh. or is it the thinking which creates the feeling? It, it depends so, on the circumstance. Sometimes, okay. one, sometimes one is first, sometimes the other is first. And that's what makes it interesting is to see the relationship back and forth. It varies over time. Okay, because, because feelings was kind of easy to uh, follow because I could able to see the body uh-huh. sensation uh-huh. and all, but with thinking it was very easy to get lost in uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to know that, and so that's one of the reasons why in meditation we ground ourselves in the breathing, the body as much as we can. And uh, and if the thinking's not bothering you, you can th- have thinking going on in the background, and um, and as long as in the foreground you can stay present. It's when the thinking takes over that we make a thinking the object of meditation. Mm-hmm. So, so we're mindful of it. Okay. Thanks. And sometimes it's enough just to note it, be aware of it, acknowledge it for you know, two seconds, and then it somehow settles it, and then you can go back to your breathing. So sometimes just acknowledging, oh, I'm thinking. That's what's happening. Then you can start over again. But if you don't acknowledge it, then sometimes you keep getting pulled into that world. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. Yes. Good evening. Um, I was wondering if you could comment, uh, if you could discuss about how mindfulness of thoughts uh, work in daily life when we have to act um, in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, which thoughts do we choose to act act on versus which ones were better off, you know, leaving uh -huh. them? Uh -huh. uh, well, well, that takes wisdom, <coughs> which is one of the topics we'll do today. But uh, what part of wisdom is to understand the consequence of your thoughts, so or you know, or the consequence of the decision you have to make, and um, so if you you know which which direction you're supposed to go, uh, you have to have some sense of which is a better direction for you, which is a better train of thought to be on, and um, and that's an evaluation you have to do. And sometimes you only find out after the fact. So they say that um, wisdom is born from experience and experience is born from mistakes. <laughs> so, you know, we do our best I can, to, we do our best we can and then we learn from our mistakes and, and the next time we know better. Does that address your question or is that quite to the point? <laughs> or you wanted to imagine... It's not easy. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, not easy. It does address the question, it's just... Um, Making lots of mistakes and then and learning thinking, from, and, and learning yeah. from them, and also you know evaluation. So, so some reflection is important about the big decisions or decisions. You know, get a sense of what direction, what is useful, what are the consequences. And uh, from the Buddhist point of view, one of the important evaluations in making a decision is what is the intention behind it, and is the intention something we feel good about. Or is the intention some in and of itself feels kind of yucky? So, so it, it, uh, someone might, two people might have the same purpose to do something. One person does it does it for selfish reasons. Another person does it for compassionate reasons. And if you look at the intention that they, the selfish or the compassionate intention, if you really feel those, you'll f probably find out the selfish ones doesn't feel good inside. It's kind of contracted, tight, hard, somehow. And the compassionate, chances are, it feels much better. My first uh, thought about uh, what feels good, sometimes it what's feels that, what's good. That, what's that sound? Someone's trying to start a car. What? Oh, outside? Okay, okay, sorry. So go, please go ahead and... I'm sorry. Don't, don't sorry to uh, don't hesitate to interrupt uh, if I go overboard. But um, yes, uh, so of course it's not always easy to assess the consequences whether whether they were really tied to our actions or right. something else, and also the intentions themselves. The what? Uh, the intention yeah. behind it. Yeah. Sometimes it can be deluded as well. Yes, I So, know. for example, if I go after desire, it feels good. It feels a relief. So, if I go about it as, does it make me feel good? Then, yeah, but it's probably not that. But this is where we learn. From, this is where we. So, there's a number we can learn from the consequences. Yes, it feels good to have the whiskey. Now but not later. And, and after a number of times of later saying, you know, 
this doesn't work for me. So we learn from that. But, um, um, but this is also why mindfulness is very helpful because mindfulness is a calm, heightened awareness of what's going on. And so we have much more information to work with when we're mindful. And so we can understand, oh, that, we can understand sooner, oh, that doesn't quite feel good. And in fact, some desires for relief, some desires for pleasure, like, you know, the whiskey, if, you, if you're really sensitive, you might find, you know, it doesn't feel, even though I want pleasure, having that desire doesn't feel so good. It's a, it's a little bit uh, insistent, it's a little bit tight, it's a little bit, um, you know, I'm a little bit tense having this particular desire. So I, I didn't realize it's unpleasant to have it, even though the allure, the promise of pleasure feels good, the serotonin level goes up. The, but in and of itself, there's something about desire that feels off. But this, this is part of the advantage of the heightened sensitivity for mindfulness. There's a lot more information that you can use to, for your evaluation. Thank you. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on times um, such as today when there is a, a collective anxiety. Um, and, uh, I mean, we can experience it as our own, right. but in a sense we're also col- experiencing uh-huh. a collective anxiety sure. you know, among some people. So. Well, I think that um, part of the skill we're trying to develop in being mindful is the ability to be present for things as they are, but not get reactive to them. Uh, so that includes for ourselves. So if we are feeling anxious, to leave it at just being present for the anxiety, some people are anxious about being anxious. Some people feel anxiety and feels uncomfortable and they want to get rid of it. Or they want to attack something or, or run around in circles or bury their head in the sand. Or there's all these things that people do that which are not very, very helpful. And so mindfulness, is what we learn through mindfulness over time is how to stay present um, uh, for what's happening, very open, open-minded, open-hearted, open-handed for what's, but we don't lose our balance in doing that. And in, in doing that, we can be f- pr- very honest and fully present for how we feel, and we can be fully present for the collective, for others. We can, and we don't get pulled in, we don't feel like we're responsible for them, we excessively don't feel like we codependently have to take care of them. Um, we don't feel like we have to pull away from them because we can't handle so much, you know, suffering in people. But we have the ability to stay balanced, calm, unreactive in situations which are uncomfortable. And that might be a great gift to our friends around us. They might not know how to stay calm and unreactive. And to feel someone who can stay present and aware is a great, great gift. And, uh, you know, this... this uh, the, the posture that this Buddha statues take is kind of a, a symbolic of the <coughs> inner uh, stance, inner place in which we meet the world. The Buddha here, his eyes are half open and he's sitting in a very calm, centered, stable place. He's upright, he's not leaning forward, he's not leaning back, he's not giving up, he's not, he's not supposed to be proud even though his chest is kind of up. <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, and uh, he's, he's aware of the world, but he's not caught in the world. So his eyes are open, but he's kind of like a soft focus. And so, I mean, this is, a man, this is supposed to be a man who was very compassionate, very engaged in trying to help people, 
but he wasn't caught in that world or caught in his own inner, inner drama. So symbolically, that's some way, a stance that we can take uh, in times like this. Um, it doesn't deny anything, doesn't deny how we're feeling, but uh, it's, it's like we have this, uh, this place uh, that we can operate from that makes it a lot easier. And we'll, we'll do that in a few minutes. We're going to do a guided meditation. And, and if you'd like, you can bring in the feelings, feelings of today into the meditation. So one more, and then here. Um, just an observation on the thinking that we practice this week. Um, I noticed that I'm, the thoughts are always, I mean, nonstop. And when I was trying to be mindful and see, um, give them room to, you know, to, I realized that they're all nonsense. I mean, it's, they're, there's nonstop, but not too many of them are really worth. Uh-huh. So, so you, th- you think it's been that way for a long time? Yes. I mean, when I, yes, <laughs> for as long as I remember. So, yeah, so, I mean, so, definitely there are so, thoughts so, so, that are more... Sometimes self-knowledge is not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good to know, at least when I'm sitting. Yeah. So, so no, I can imagine it doesn't feel good, but in what way might it be beneficial for you to know that it, this is happening as opposed to it continuing without you knowing it? I, I don't or know. You prefer right to now, go, I don't feel like it's any... So it's better to go back and be ignorant? I mean, I realized there were, that I was thinking all the time when I was practicing sitting, but I didn't realize that there's really not too many of them have any uh-huh. reason really to be there. Yeah. So that's okay. I mean, uh, it's probably true for most people, not just you. And, um, but it might give you some um, ability to watch what you're doing in your mind and decide you know, to think something else sometimes. Not in meditation, but um, it's, it's a regular phenomenon for me. If I'm, like if I'm driving around and have some place to go, I'll notice what I'm thinking, and sometimes I'll just let it, let it run and do what it does. And sometimes I say, you know, that's not particularly helpful or useful, and I think there's more useful things to think about. And then I'll direct my mind to think about something else. Or sometimes I say, you know, I, I'm, I'm done with thinking for, today, <laughs> for this hour. And then I'll just kind of let it, the thinking recede into the background to some degree and, and just stay aware of myself as I drive and be present and in a quiet way. So I have, some, I have some choices I can make with my thinking because I've been watching it for so long and I'm familiar with it and familiar with the different options. So I feel much freer because of it. So I think it's actually a very good thing that you've learned this about yourself. And um, it's the beginning of a whole new life lesson that's just going to unfold for you if you keep this going. Okay, thank you. So what I thought we would do now to start off is do a meditation where I kind of um, uh, review the instructions for what we've done these weeks. So, you know, to review it, before we start, I'll just say that we started with uh, taking an alert, upright posture, and then uh, uh, focusing on the breathing. And the breathing is kind of like a stabilizing force for many people and it's kind of, think of it as a center that we kind of center ourselves on. And um, it's, very, it's meant to be a very simple experience. You don't have to do any kind of special yogic breathing. 
and then when um, and the, and use the breathing as a way of letting go of your thoughts, not being involved in them. If you notice yourself thinking, just come back to your breathing. Just kind of come back, and generally the mind settles a little bit by the simplicity of just being here with your eyes closed and focusing on the breath rather than focusing on the concerns of the day or whatever. And uh, sometimes that's a, that's enough just to do that. Sit upright, close your eyes, and just be with your breath and let go of your thoughts. And some people can get very deep in meditation and uh, come to a very good, helpful place, keeping it that simple. But we don't stay there uh, in mindfulness meditation when it's fully developed because we want to bring our mindfulness to our whole life so that nothing's excluded. And partly what makes mindfulness sacred in the Buddhist uh, language, Buddhist uh, sense, is that um, mindfulness or awareness doesn't exclude anything. There's no outside, nothing which is unacceptable for awareness. And that ability to include everything in the field of awareness without being for or against it, but just experience it, is actually quite a profound experience. Kind of, so Buddhists consider that to be sacred. As soon as you have inside and outside, acceptable and not acceptable for awareness, then we lose that sacred realm. So in order to open up to more of the experience, then um, we include the body. So as we're sitting here, if compelling body sensations arise, then the idea is to connect to those and be mindful of those, be aware of those. And finding how to be aware with it, aware of the body sensations, in a calm, relaxed, equanimous way. So not denying them, but not being for or against them, but just learning how to be present for them in a very simple, open way, and maybe seeing them more clearly, what they are. And then if they're no longer compelling, then we go back to our breathing. Sometimes it's emotions that become compelling, and then rather than pushing them away or denying them, or rather than celebrating them, getting into them, the approach of mindfulness is if the emotions are compelling, again, we let go of our breathing, and then we just let our attention go and, and connect to the emotion, to be aware, I'm, I'm feeling this, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. In a very simple way, because simplicity is kind of the hallmark of mindfulness. If it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. And, um, and so to, um, so just kind of, oh, so I'm, and then you, f- you recognize what's happening emotionally. And then if you have time to hang out with it, you would feel it, what it's like in your body. And then do a bit of mindfulness of the body and how it expresses itself in the body. And then when it's no longer compelling or passed away, then you come back to your breathing. So the same thing with thinking. If thinking is in the background and it's not a big issue or the mind is quiet, more or less, uh, just don't worry about it. But when thinking pushes into the foreground, and that's predominantly what you're doing, then since it's the predominant experience, mindfulness then would include that in a field of awareness and just be aware of thinking, thinking. And it might take a while to get a hang of how to do it, but you can get a lot of freedom from stepping back and not being involved in your thoughts. If you can let go of them easily, please do. If you can't let go of them <coughs> easily, don't worry about it. It's, it's plenty good enough. It's really great just to be mindful and be aware of what you're thinking. And you can explore it a little bit. And so, um, so that's kind of the idea, the, basic, the kind of basic idea. And then in the mix, if there's a lot of sounds outside, then you can be aware of that. And if there's smells that come along, you do smell meditation. If there's a, suddenly someone turns, your eyes are closed, but someone turns on the light suddenly, and you know, you're kind of, even with your eyes closed, you see it, then for a few moments you might do seeing meditation. Just be aware that that's what's happening for the moment, and then go back to the breathing. 
And the idea where we're getting to is to try to learn how to be equanimously, calmly aware of whatever is happening in our experience. And that's the, that's the direction it's going. So for some people, today was an important day, an impactful day. Some people are, a lot of people around here seem, you know, are in mourning or angry or afraid. Um, some people maybe here also, maybe wider afield in America, are quite elated and happy. And so they have those emotions that are here. And so as we're sitting here today, uh, no matter if the emotions of the day are here, still lingering, um, this is an opportunity to practice mindfulness with them. And as we go through these, these steps of breath, body, emotions, and thoughts, um, if any of these lingering feelings of today are still present for you, um, make space for them and bring your awareness to them as if it's okay to, for them to be there and you're not for or against it, you're just making space for it. And uh, it's a very respectful thing to do. This is not the time to problem solve or figure out who you're going to vote for in the next election and you know all kinds of other things. This is the time just to be present. And that allows the heart, the mind, to process and unfold um, uh, without any interference from you. If you are thinking and planning for the next election or what you're going to do, or if you're kind of lost in your thoughts because you're so afraid, and what am I going to do with my 401k account or, you know, anything, then, um, then, um, uh, then you're kind of interfering with it. And, um, but if you just kind of are present for it and recognize, oh, this is what's happening for me, then we kind of step back and it allows for a deeper process to unfold. And especially when there's very strong emotional impact on us, um, our, our hearts have a very good sense of what needs to happen, how it's to be processed, that our minds often don't. So it's particularly true of people who are in grief. Uh, some, you know, if someone's died or something, or uh, you know, other things that happen with this tremendous grief. Some people are feeling grief today. Uh, the heart knows how to process grief. Just like a cut, know, the body knows how to heal the cut. But we have to kind of get out of the way. And so to respect grief is to let it be there and be aware that it's there. Feel it in the body. Uh, try not to interfere with it. Looking at your watch, you know, it should, I should be, it should be over by now. Just, just let it be, let it be. And then uh, let it kind of wash through you or wash out or unfold as it needs to do. Does that make some sense? Okay. So, um, so then, taking an upright alert posture. And gently closing your eyes. And then you might begin very simply just checking in with yourself and in an open-minded, open-hearted way recognizing how you are, as if you have lots of space and room to feel what you're feeling. As if how you're feeling is allowed. And your job is simply to recognize it and be aware of how it is for you. And by checking in briefly with yourself, you're you know, the kind of respectful 
acknowledgement, respectful way of being present for yourself. So that it might be easier to let that fall aside a little bit so you can turn your attention to your breathing. You might take a few long, slow, deep breaths. The deep breaths at the beginning are a way to connect to your body and to remind yourself that you're here, here and now, helping the mind to be here and now as opposed to your thoughts and mind being there and then. And then letting your breathing return to normal. Maybe imagining that or considering that your breathing is at the very center of you, center of the universe right now. And everything else kind of is around it, orbiting around it. And you're going to just take a few moments to rest in the center feeling the body breathing, the movements of the chest or the belly, the sensations of the air going in and out through your nostrils. No matter what you're feeling, Place yourself with your breathing as if you're breathing with all things. You're breathing with how you are. You're allowing the experience of breathing to move through your body. Maybe as you exhale, to let go of your thoughts. And as you let go of your thoughts, let go into the body breathing. And then you might take a few moments now to let go of your breathing and gently feel your body. Be present for your bodily experience. As if you can make room or space 
or whatever way your body is right now, comfortable or uncomfortable. And whatever is predominant sensation of your body, see if you can gently bring awareness to it without any stories, without any reactivity. A simple awareness that allows you to be with the sensations of your body. And then you might come back to your breathing. And sometimes the rhythm of breathing is a way of centering ourselves again, stabilizing the mind. Just breathing in and breathing out. And then you might let go of your breathing again. And this time become aware if there's any prominent emotions or moods or mental states for you. And if there are, see if you can make space for that. Make room for that in your awareness without needing to think about it or fix it or react to it, a simple awareness of how you're feeling.
in whatever way you might be feeling, if it's subtle or not so subtle. See if you can notice where those feelings, emotions, reside in the body. What parts of your body are activated or energized or more alive because of how you're feeling. And you might just be with the body, be with a physical manifestation of how you feel. See what unfolds, what opens up as you quietly stay in your body. And then coming back to your breathing. Some people find it helpful, the idea of you to let go back into the breathing. Relaxing with the breath. Letting the thinking mind become quieter. as you hang out with the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. And then gently, with a light touch, become aware of your thinking, how you're thinking. Are there hardly any thoughts? Are there lots of thoughts? Are your thoughts calm or are they energetic? Notice yourself if you're thinking. And you might gently label them, kind of like stepping back from them and seeing them for what they are. Say quietly thinking, thinking, or remembering, or planning. 
fantasy. If the thoughts disappear or quiet down, go back to your breathing. Thoughts don't have to be a problem. Just something else to be aware of. And then you can go back to your breathing. And for a few minutes here, sit with your sit mindful of breathing. And as something else becomes more compelling, body or emotions or thoughts or sounds, let your calm, open awareness be mindful of, mindful of that. Take it in, recognize it as it happens. And is there anything happening for you right now that makes it difficult for you to be present, to be mindful? And if there is, be mindful of that. Include that in the field of awareness, recognizing that it's here in the present
And if you are fairly well in the present moment, calm and centered here, be aware of that. Gently, without thinking, feel the calm, feel the spaciousness or the stillness or the calm. So that also is included in the field of awareness. So then to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths, using those breaths to connect to your body again, more fully, almost like you're waking the body up. Feel your body against the chair or the floor, the cushion. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So I made reference a number of times to having a calm, relaxed awareness, not being for or against. Awareness makes space for what's there. And that's kind of a nice way to do the mindfulness practice. If we had an, another week to do this introductory course, we would have a whole uh, session on being mindful of the way in which you're being mindful how you're paying attention. Because some people pay attention in all kinds of different ways. Some people have the sledgehammer approach to mindfulness, where they're going to be, okay, I'm supposed to be pay attention to my breath, I'll just, you know, lock onto it. Or supposed to notice an emotion, I'll just, like, you know, pounce on it. Some people are so hesitant. Well, maybe I'll pay it. Maybe, I don't know. Is it really? I'm supposed to pay attention i kind of be aware of it. Some people have the checklist approach to being mindful. They know they're supposed to be mindful of something, and so they notice, oh, in-breath, done that. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm feeling calm, done that. You know, and, <laughs> you know, and then it's on for the next thing, you know. And, um, and, uh, and then some people have the lingering mindfulness. Oh. That in-breath was so good. Oh. 
Let me, let me savor it. Oh, can it just continue longer? Oh. So, so there's all these different ways. Some people bore into the experience, like, almost like they're using their eyes to look really closely and to get a headache. Some people, you know, there's all these different ways. And so just, none, none are exactly, none are really wrong, but some are not so useful. And so to be, kind of be sensitive that there's all, there's all these areas of attention, the breath, the body, the emotions, the thoughts, and all that. But also for a little bit more advanced kind of mindfulness, you'd also be aware of how you're aware. And the standard, because sometimes you have a standard you can kind of see better, a reference point, for example, uh, is to be uh, calm and spacious, or calm and allowing. Calm and not for or against. Um, but clearly present, so it's clearly seeing, without holding back and without pouncing, without straining. So, so how are you in relationship to that balanced way? So some people find that's helpful to kind of explore and be with as well. But as I said earlier, the characteristic of this practice is that it's meant to be simple. And to hear all these instructions over these weeks, it might seem it's not simple. So if you find yourself and how you're doing the mindfulness, that you're starting to, you know, be too complicated about it. Trying to remember what was the step he said and this and that. And then he said this thing about raft. What was, what was that? And where am I at R or F or what's, you know, where, what, what are we doing here? And the mind kind of like is kind of caught up in its complications. Um, the idea is to be simple and be mindful of what's obvious. So we stay with the breath. That's kind of like kind of the, the default, be with the breath. And then be content that if it's obvious that your body sensations are there, then be mindful of it. If it's obvious that you have emotions, then you bring attention to that. If it's obvious that you're thinking, you bring your attention to that. But if it's not really obvious, you don't have to, you don't have to worry. It's because it's supposed to be kind of simple. Sooner or later, the world, everything will come to you in practice. And that's part of the beauty of this practice is that you get to see everything at some point, but it's on its own time. You don't have to be ahead of it. You can just kind of be content to be present for your breathing until something else is obvious. And then you wear with that. So you don't have to do a lot of thinking and figuring, where am I, what am I supposed to do? So hopefully that makes some sense. Anyone want to make any comments about that meditation, what that was like, or questions that came out of it? Yes, and I see, where's the mic? Here it's coming. So, um, during my daily practice, I sometimes have this intense thoughts, like after a very stressful day or when there's a stressful event. And what usually happens at the start of the meditation, I have a very good posture, as you're mentioning. For then, like even before I can catch it, I can sense that my mind has gone into the spiral. And when that it goes into that spiral. I, I'm not very aware that it's going into that point. Like, there's no noting. It just goes and, like, stays It's the spiral there. of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I find is that my body just mm, crumbles. Yeah. And then uh, that actually just propagates it because then it's a bit difficult to come out of it mm-hmm. and become more aware of it. So 
uh, I mean, I have seen this like uh, right. a lot of times. And how do you get out of it? Like, is yeah. is it just like practice, which makes it better? Better? Yeah, I think practice certainly makes it better. But there's a few things you might try. <clears throat> uh, sometimes, it, what, what's helpful in this meditation, especially with something like that, is to develop a little bit of inner strength or discipline. So, um, so uh, the commitment to sit upright and not to lose your posture is a commitment. If you can get, get behind that commitment, that can help you stay in balance. Because once you lose your posture, you're actually kind of feeding the emotion, the state that you're in. So uh, to have enough presence of mind that you know your posture. Um, some people find it helpful uh, to, when it mind's really spinning, is to uh, count their breaths. And this intentional counting, you know, I'm going to get to 10. I'm going to count 10 breaths. And, uh, and if you lose it after two or three, you start again at one until you get up to ten. And that somehow uh, can uh, counter the strong pull of, pull of the thinking. It's kind of like you're offering a counterforce. Stay here, stay here, stay here. And then eventually that quiets down. The third thing you might try, see if it works for you. I mean, try this keeping a good posture, uh, but keep your eyes open when you meditate. And uh, maybe half open, looking down to 45 degrees. And sometimes uh, people, some people are more likely to be pulled into the, the currents of thinking when their eyes are closed. Uh, and sometimes just keeping the eyes open is a little bit uh, more alert, more present, something. Some people find that the opposite is true. So you might try that. And then, um, it's a risk of saying too much, um, if it's all hopeless, you know, then uh, do mindfulness of thinking. And, um, and one way that I do it when it's, you know, my mind is really spinning out a lot um, is that uh, I say to myself the word here, just very quietly. And uh, it's not like a command to a dog. It's just, you know, it's like very open. It's like making space, like here. And then when I say here, I say, and then the, the attitude is, you know, what is here? To, to recognize it. And if I'm thinking a lot, then here is a mind which is out of control. So I take a moment, here, oh, this is what a mind out of control is like. And for about a second, I can have quiet, kind of a quiet recognition and awareness, oh, this is what it's like. And then it spins. And then I do it again, here. This is what it's like. And I'm not for or against the thinking. It's not, I'm not, not saying I have to stop thinking. I'm just curious, but I want to feel it. I want to sense it. I want to see and recognize this is what it's like to be a human being with a mind out of control. Here. Oh. Here. And what I find, if I do that for a while, it begins to quiet down. It takes the fuel away from the thinking. I've kind of stepped away from it. And um, I'm not feeding it anymore. And, uh, and then at some point I'm calm again, settled. And then I start the regular meditation. So maybe those ideas are interesting for you. Great. Yes, please. So I had a really interesting. Um, oh, I had a really interesting experience this huh? time. I felt the. Yeah, have it right in front of your mouth because my hearing is not so sure. good. So. I felt the the presence moment this yeah. time. So the energies inside. I'm able to shut down the thoughts. Uh huh. And just observe my body and the tightness and the blockages. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm experiencing yeah. most time. Usually the energy is inside, but what I felt this time, the energy 
jumped out, and I was just really here for the first time and mm. experienced it. Fantastic. So the energy it was, was kind empty. of it helped you be present. Lovely. And it just jumped out, yeah, yeah, and beautiful. after a few seconds, he went inside, and then Great. he was. So you're much more settled and grounded that way. Um, yeah, but it was the first time I experienced it out of my body. Great. Nice. Nice that you keep present. So, so that's the basic idea of mindfulness meditation. That, uh, and hopefully that gives you a sense of what to do. And um, uh, as I said the first day, um, I think I said the first day, um, uh, you can't do it wrong. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, it's a learning experience. Uh, you'll f- uh, your, 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 you know, your mind will do all kinds of things, your heart will do all kinds of things, your emotional state, your body, all kinds of things will happen in the course of it. And, um, and you can't really do it wrong. You just try to notice what's happening. Just try to be present like this. And over time, you'll get more and more familiar with the territory. You get more and more aware of yourself and the self-awareness becomes more and more acute, stronger and stronger, and all kinds of <coughs> corners of your inner life that you've never even knew were there become, come up to the foreground, and you get to know how it works. And then as you understand yourself better and better, then you'll understand how to be mindful of it, and how to be present, and how to stay present in a clear, open, helpful way. But it's a learning process. And... Um, and uh, because it's a learning process, um, you, you have to be given material to learn with. You become your own teacher in this practice. If you ta- think of this as a, a technique, that if you do A, B, and C, just follow the technique just perfectly, that then you'll just kind of, you know, be in nirvana tomorrow. Everything's going to be happy ever after. Uh, then you're not going to be your own teacher. The idea is to have some sense of the technique and then really kind of begin understanding how this practice, the technique, the mindfulness works for you and how you can work with it and the feedback loop between what's going on for you and the mindfulness and what happens when you're mindful of it. And, and so you're supposed to become your own teacher through this, through this practice. So uh, don't be too caught up in the technique. Uh, just be present, be mindful and learn and find your way with the material. Find your, find, your, find your way with your own mind and how it works uh, and what causes you to be stressful, stressed, what causes you to be reactive, what causes you to be peaceful, what helps you to be grounded and centered. And you'll find your way. And as you do this, uh, you'll, you'll learn life lessons that are useful in all areas of life. You'll find that your life will become easier and easier, more easeful, uh, more fluid, and, uh, and you're able to go into situations that you didn't before and be able to stay grounded, present, and not so caught or reactive in situations. And if you do that, if you're able to do that, you'll also tap into um, powers of compassion, powers of kindness and love, and powers of wisdom, greater understanding. And one of the functions of this practice is in fact uh, to bring wisdom to people. In Buddhist context, mindfulness practice is the fundamental practice that cultivates wisdom, a heightened understanding, discernment, penetrating insight into our experience. And there's many ways in which this insight works as we start seeing and having wisdom. 
And, um, and some of it that what many people are least familiar with is the non-conceptual wisdom that arises. Where we understand understanding the role that concepts have in our lives, ideas have in our lives, and how we can sometimes pull, uh, they pull us around by our nose and we're not so free. And we start seeing how the, uh, the, the mind gets quieter and quieter and, and just quiet enough so that you can start seeing, well, that's a thought. That's just a thought. As opposed to believing a thought or giving authority to it or you know, chasing after it or reflecting on it. It's just a thought. It's just an idea. It might be a good idea, it might be not so good, it might be true, it might not be true, it's just an idea, it's a thought. And there's a, a tremendous power that comes, tremendous goodness, tremendous sense of ease and relief that can come when we see thought is just a thought and that we're not the thought. We don't have to buy into it, we don't have to be caught in it. It's just a, just a thought. I leave it like that. So I want to show an, ex- an example of this kind of wisdom that can come from the practice that involves using these flowers. So, if I hold up this flower here. So, just a flower, it's a pretty flower. In Buddhism we say it's that you're seeing the suchness of the flower. Just the flower, see the flower? It's a nice flower, okay? So, um, that's nice. Now, if I take this flower and put it next to the first one. Now the one in, now we can say something we couldn't have said before. We say this, the one in my right hand is the, uh, let, let's, let's do it this way. I'm gonna do it a little differently. Um, the one in my right hand is the small flower, and the one in the left hand is the big flower. That's reasonable, right? Okay? So, okay. So, watch, watch how my, what my hands do. So you're allowed to watch the magic trick. Okay, this is a small one, this is the big one, right? Now, the one the left hand is a small one, and the right hand is the big one. You see that? You see, see how I did the magic? Or or did I do that too fast? (laughs) So, um, the the large and small is not inherent in the flower. Large and small is a comparative idea depending what you put it next to. It turns out that a lot of human suffering arises out of comparative concepts and ideas. And if you just think, probably a good percentage of you, if you just consider some of the suffering you've had in connection to your, your physical body, most of that suffering comes because you're comparing yourself to some ideal, some idea, other people's bodies. Um, uh, when I remember I had a lot of uh, concern about my hair when I was a teenager. And uh, I thought I was... I thought I was going, to go, going bald because I have kind of a high forehead. So I, I, you know, maybe I didn't have anything better to do in class in junior high school, but I would be regularly measuring with my finger to make sure that my hair was, you know, not, not wasn't going bald. 
And I can tell you that I still remember the measurement and it hasn't changed. <laughs> and uh, so this concern, you know, because, and also um, long hair back in, you know, so I, well, this is interesting. I thought that, so I, and I, I used to live in, um, in Italy and uh, growing up and, and so I spent the summer of 1967 in Italy and I'd come from America and was there in Italy for a while and and so I was living in a small provincial town city so I was like the only American there and so it turns out that I was the only person with blue jeans and I was the only boy with longish hair which was kind of new back then so I was cool. I could feel I'd walk around town. I felt like I was like somewhat special and it felt great, you know. And then I flew back across the Atlantic back to Los Angeles for, this, for the school in fall of 67. Now, I didn't know this, but a lot happened in California in the summer of 67. The summer of love, hippies and all that. So I came back and I went to school the first day and I had my blue jeans, I had my longish hair and I looked around and they had, my other friends had figured out what you, could do, what you could do with blue jeans. You could put it through the washing machine a hundred times. Some people would put their blue jeans on the road so cars would drive over them. And they were all, this was before you could buy faded blue jeans, right? So, so I mean, they had these cool, worn out blue jeans that they were custom made over the summer. And I just had regular blue jeans. And they had let their hair grow a lot longer than I had. And I just had longish hair. They had long hair. So I, I, I was deflated. Poor, you know, poor Gil. You know, I was no longer cool. So my self-concept was tied in the comparisons. And even that my, my, my energy and my aliveness was tied to what I was comparing myself to. And, you know, maybe it's excusable for someone who was 13 or 14. But, uh, you know, we, we still do it oftentimes. And sometimes we do it to each other in painful ways. And so we live in a world of comparison thoughts. And those are thoughts, they're ideas. And if we don't see those ideas operating, we internalize them so deeply that just it's a nature of reality. This is how it is. But if you see it as a thought, as a concept, as an idea... And it's just a thought, just an idea that gives you an opportunity to do something different than experiencing your life through the filter of ideas and concepts, comparisons. And that is to experience yourself in your suchness. So the flower has a suchness. It just is what it is by itself before any comparisons. And to be able to sit quietly and allow yourself to be as you are before any of those thoughts and ideas take over is um, so peaceful, so satisfying. Your body is so much more content than you realize if you can stop all the thoughts. So um, uh, if I, you know, if I, if I think about my, my high forehead like I did when I was 13, 14, I'd be sitting here self-conscious and looking at your foreheads and how do I compare and I hope you don't notice and maybe I should get a hat and, you know, it's all this, you know, swirl of, of thoughts. 
and I'm feeling bad about myself. But if I can drop all those thoughts and just feel my forehead in its suchness, how is it is in and of itself, my forehead is completely content. <laughs> it is peaceful there. It's just kind of, it's just, it's kind of, kind of glowing and vibrating and just there. And it, there's no problem until I bring in the thoughts. So as we get quieter enough and we have mindfulness, we can start seeing the simplicity of the experience, see the overlay of the concepts, and we have a choice of whether to get involved in those or see them as just a thought. There's a forehead thought. Let me just be with the suchness of the forehead. And that even things which are uncomfortable in the body sometimes, if you allow yourself to feel the suchness of it, just a simple, simple experience in and of itself, independent of your ideas and comparisons and all that, it actually can feel kind of contented to feel it. There might be some tension, tension in the shoulders or something. And um, the other day I, had, I woke up in the middle of the night with a headache. It doesn't happen that often, but I don't know why, but I woke up with a headache. And, um, and so at first I was kind of annoyed. I thought, well, am I going to fall back asleep? What's going to happen here? And so after a few minutes I said, you know, this is what's happening. And the approach for mindfulness practice is we're, we stay present for what's happening. And so the headache was what's happening. So, so I said, okay, let's forget these, forget these thoughts, all these judgments and concerns, the worries about it. And let me just feel the headache and be with it in the suchness of the headache. And there's no denying that it was painful. And I wasn't pretending it wasn't. But as I entered into the world of the pain itself, I just felt it in and of itself, I don't want to say it was satisfying, but it was not a problem. It kind of got softer. It kind of, it, it, kind of the intensity went down a little bit. It kind of felt like it was spread out a little bit. And it kind of was not a problem. It was kind of like, oh, okay, it's actually kind of easy to be present. You know, partly because it's so compelling and partly because I could see that if I didn't stay present for the headache, didn't bring my attention to it, I would, I would slip into the thoughts and then the pain would get much more acute. But if I stayed present for it, it wouldn't get, the, the, whatever the, the, the magnifying glass of ideas and thoughts were, how they functioned wasn't happening. Anyway, so as we do this practice and we settle down and begin to see more, more clearly, then um, there's a certain wisdom and understanding that develops around what's happening here that can give us some freedom, some peace in the middle of it. So that's an example of kind of the wisdom. There's a whole series of things like this that can happen as we kind of wisdom pieces that, that arise from it, from the practice. And um, so hopefully that gives you a little taste of, of one form of wisdom. Now, in order to develop this practice more fully, one of the great things to do is to bring it into your daily life and not to leave it just on the cushion. And, um, and, uh, and that, that was, you know, after I had meditated for about six months when I first started meditating regularly, I finally, don't, it was good. I felt it was really nice to meditate. It was beneficial for me. And then it dawned on me, why do I only let myself have these benefits while I meditate? Why don't I benefit this way in my daily life as well? And it, it dawned on me that the line between me meditating and me not meditating is an arbitrary line. 
you know, it's you know, there's, there doesn't have to be a strong difference between it. So then, my uh, my task, my goal, from then on, was how to integrate or how to bring the sense of well-being I had in meditation into the rest of my life. And um, and as I did that, then there's a reciprocal relationship. The more mindfulness you have in meditation, <coughs> as that develops, the easier it is to bring into your daily life. The more you're mindful in daily life, the more that creates momentum that makes it easier to sit down to meditate. And so it kind of builds over, it, over, over itself. So if you want to deepen your meditation practice, practice mindfulness in daily life. If you want to develop mindfulness in daily life, do meditation practice. And if you want to do both, they support each other. Also, some people find that um, by bringing mindfulness in daily life, they get a lot of the benefits of mindfulness and wisdom in their lives. So if you're at work and you're having a challenging conversation and you're getting hot and angry, and the usual way is to lash out at your colleague because you're impatient and you're fed up, but uh, because you know about mindfulness, oh, wait a minute, I think I can, this is anger. Let me look at it and feel it in my body. Let me just notice what's going on here. Notice my posture. I'm all kind of like tense up. Uh, you know, there's all this energy. There's all these thoughts. It's all these comparisons. And I don't like it. And I'm trying to get away from how I'm feeling. And as, we, as we, we step back and say, what's going on here for me? And we start seeing the ecology of what's happening to us. Then we might realize um, that maybe I don't need to lash out. Maybe I don't have to say anything at all right now. Maybe I can just breathe and be with myself and see if I can come from a place where there's more wisdom and, and, and uh, for knowing how to respond and to act. And so part of the instinct of people who develop mindfulness is to, uh, rather than acting impulsively, is to get curious. What's happening here? And in most situations, there's usually some room and time, some space, to be able to get curious before you act, before you speak. And as we get better at it, that moment of that gap of curiosity, of interest, can just last a second. Oh, what's happening here? And you get used to, oh, that's what's happening. And then you're wiser and you can kind of respond more clearly. The practice I did for quite a while was, this is in the old days, I don't know why I don't do it anymore, but um, uh, we we, had these phones, house, you know, Real phones, only phones, um, and um, and uh, uh, I would um, wait to answer the phone. I'd hear it ring. I'd stop what I was doing, and then I'd check in with myself and be mindful: my breath, my body, what I'm feeling. And I'd let the phone ring five times. Because my instinct was to rush over there and get it because it's so important to get it as soon as you can. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, you, you have to get it. You know, most people you know, are content to wait five rings. And so I would spend this time just breathing, being with myself. And when I noticed it did two good things for me. It got me centered or calmed down a little bit so I was prepared and fresh for the conversation. But more importantly, I checked in with myself. I knew where I was at. So that when I started the conversation, I was wiser about myself. So I can be a little bit wiser in the conversation and didn't kind of spill over 
in ways that shouldn't spill over to other people. So uh, practicing mindfulness in daily life. Some people will take particular activities they do in daily life and make that their kind of daily life meditation practice for a while. Uh, not try to, be, to try to be mindful your whole day is just, you know, difficult. So, for example, um, if you, maybe it's nice to park a little bit further away from, from where you work or from where you live than usually you would do, and then use the time walking to where you're going to uh, practice being mindful, practice being present. The mind wanders off, you come back. And if you're walking, just walk. Just be in the walking. Focus on the feet as they walk, your body as you walk. Check in with yourself and see if you can let your thoughts go and just be here for what's going on. And maybe by the time you get to work or get to home or wherever, you're more connected, you're more aware, maybe you're calmer, um, and you certainly check in with yourself as opposed to not doing it. Some people will choose particular tasks like washing the dishes. So washing dishes every day for a few weeks, make that the mindfulness time. <clears throat> don't have a conversation, don't have the radio on, um, just do the dishes. And if the mind wanders away, come back to the dishes. It's just you and the dishes. That's the present moment. That's your present moment experience. But dishes are boring. There's no purpose to doing dishes. Just do the dishes. Okay, well, I'll do it as quickly as I can to get over it so I can go to important things. That's not mindfulness. Mindfulness would be if you wash the dishes, just do the dishes as if that's the most important thing in the world at that moment. And just give yourself to it. Now, this. And you're developing concentration. You're developing ability to really be present for something in the dishes. Dishes become your teacher. And you're learning how to be mindful and present. Um, There's a colleague, a friend of mine named Kamala Masters. uh, And she came, she's from the Philippines, and she came to this country and became a single mom. And she lived in Hawaii. She lived in Hawaii. And um, she... um, had four kids, single mom. Somehow or other, she managed to get herself on a meditation retreat with an Indian Vipassana teacher named Manindra, Manindra G. And um, at the end of the retreat, he was telling, telling people, now that we're going back into our normal life, it's important to meditate every day. Every day you should meditate. So she went up to him and said, you know, I can't do that. He said, no, everyone can meditate. You know, you can do it. You have to meditate. I can't do it. It's not possible with my lifestyle. So she was kind of smart. So she said, uh, uh, come and stay with me for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. And he followed around, saw what's going on very quickly, and he said, oh, it's true, you can't. <laughs> Single mom with four kids. And so he said, okay, I'll teach you how to be mindful. And so he followed her around and said, when you're washing dishes, just wash the dishes. Be mindful of that. And there was a hallway in her house that connected all the rooms, a little hallway. So every time you, you go into this hallway many times a day, every time you step into this hallway, that's your place to do walking meditation. And it's only a couple of seconds, but then really be present for yourself and check in, let go of everything else and be really here for those little few steps. So she built up a repertoire of things she did throughout the daily their daily life. She had to do these things anyway, drive the kids to school, make their lunches, or whatever. And she made those her meditation practice, where she was really present for that while she was doing it. 
as opposed to planning the next event or fantasizing or whatever. And so she did that for many years before she was able to go, to go on a meditation retreat again. And when she did, she was so prepared for the retreat that she just dropped deeply into deep meditation very, very quickly and uh, became kind of a star student and then became a teacher. And, um, but her years of being a parent and that kind of lifestyle, and she also was working by herself. She was a single mom working and having four kids. And um, so, but she kind of learned, mastered how to be mindful in daily life. It's a very powerful thing to do, very useful. So picking a task. Some people find it like every week, choose a new task and make that your mindfulness task. Dishes one week. Eating, it's great to eat mindfully. Uh, one, one day a week or one meal once in a while, um, eat silently. Just, just eat and just don't try to rush, don't do anything else, just eat and see what that's like. Some days it's walking to work, some days it's vacuuming the house, some days it's putting on your clothes, brushing your teeth. So you do different things for a period of time. And over a year, you have all these different things that you're being mindful of, that you have the association and the feel of what it's like to be mindful in those activities. And so it becomes a little more second nature and you find that the mindfulness grows and develops. So practicing in daily life. The other thing you can do uh, to develop the mindfulness practice is to connect, uh, combine the practice with becoming concentrated. A concentrated mind is able to be mindful in a much better, more effective way. And there's um, the, uh, many ways of getting concentrated, developing concentration. But one way is simply doing mindfulness. Over time, the concentration will follow in the wake of mindfulness. But one of the primary ways we do it in our tradition is to go on meditation retreats. And the opportunity to practice many sessions of meditation throughout the day uh, settles us down, begins to create more focus. And so there's able to have you much more concentrated in the mindfulness than we can when we just sit down for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And we haven't really kind of taken the edge off all the energy that we have with us. And so uh, we, uh, our tradition of Buddhism has uh, a lot of retreats we offer. We have day-long retreats here at IMC, like we have one this Saturday, which is from 9 to 4.30. And if you want to... F- I'll do some of the instructions again, or a little bit different variation of the instruction. And if you're interested in getting it again, or variations, you're welcome to come to it. And you're welcome to come for any part of it. Come at the beginning and go, go, you know, when you've had enough, you can go. Um, we have a retreat center. Our, our, our center here has a separate place in Santa Cruz, which is a retreat center. It houses about 40 people. And we ha- offer overnight retreats. And people come there for three days. Standard length of time is seven days. And um, sometimes we do two, two weeks. And um, it's a, they're silent retreats for the most part. And um, there's, there's no social talking that goes on. So it, it's very, very nice conditions for developing this concentration and stillness to support the mindfulness. And uh, some people find that to be a great benefit and great delight to be able to go off on retreats and practice that way. Um, If you're interested in kind of carrying this forward into your life, it certainly helps if you practice regularly. It can be very helpful if from time to time you meditate with other people. Um, Some people do it once a week. They come here. We have different sitting groups here sittings through the week. 
Um, if you know, uh, there are other places in the peninsula you can go and sit with people and meditate with people. Um, and if there's no place near where you live, uh, there might be Quakers on Sundays and you can sit silently with them. They'll be very happy to have you sit there and meditate with them. And uh, there's something that happens when we meditate together. We learn from each other. There's by osmosis, we pick up something. Uh, we get a sense of how it works. We get some support, some sense of inspiration. Um, we realize we're not so weird because other people doing this. Um, and uh, all kinds of things can happen by, by sometimes meditating with other people. So it's one way of kind of keeping, it, keeping the ball going and moving, moving it ahead. Uh, the last thing I'll say before maybe taking a couple of questions before the end is um, uh, starting next week here, uh, we have uh, what's called the Beginner's Practice Group. And for four weeks, with a break for Thanksgiving, I think, no no, no break, it just goes for the next four weeks. Um, It's kind of meant to be a follow-up for this five-week introductory course. So if you want to continue to get some support, and uh, Tom, who just left now, he's one of the people teaching it, and and Liz Powell, the kind of senior practitioners here who teach this course sometimes themselves, uh, they offer this follow-up and uh, they'll do some more teachings. They'll teach some more about mindfulness meditations, short meditations, some guided meditation, some questions, uh, periods of questions and answers. And it's meant to be kind of a support to keep it going. So if you want to kind of learn more, and some people, some people like to go to them because they find it easier to ask senior students questions than to ask me. They're like, I'm so intimidating, so or something. And so it's nice to come to. It creates a sense of community. And um, so if you want to come to that, you're welcome to drop in in the next four weeks. So any questions or comments you'd like to make about what I've said? Yes. That was that Angie. Thank you so much, Gil. Would you repeat the four things that you suggested for when the mind is thinking? The last one was here, here, and the one was commitment to the posture. What do you Yes, yes. Uh-huh. So I talked about sometimes um, be, just relying on mindfulness is not enough. And uh, sometimes also the way that mindfulness is understand, understood how it's done, being calm and accepting of the situation, lends to a certain kind of passivity, which is not uh, helpful when there's a lot of spinning out of the mind and you know, going on and on. And sometimes you need to do a little antidote. Or you want to need to cut. So, so one antidote is sometimes you need to be strong. Bring some inner strength and discipline and not just kind of, you know, float along with all the currents in the mind. And so one way, I mean, simple discipline, but one way is to sit up straight and really kind of stay connected to your posture, have a presence in your posture so you're not going to slump, you're not going to give in. Or if you do, you straighten up and you catch it right away. And it's hard to keep that, it requires mindfulness to do that, but it's a physical uh, reference point for it. So some people find it's easier to kind of stay present because they have that physical kind of feedback system that goes on. And so, and holding your body upright and erect, and, you know, not stiff, but, you know, just in a simple way, um, uh, the mindfulness and attention and strength that's needed for that, mental strength that's needed for that, is a great um, uh, antidote to the mind wandering off too easily. Sometimes the mind wanders off into thought really easily, out of habit and out of laziness. 
So sometimes you want to counter it with a certain kind of, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to be serious here. I'm going to be here, and, you know. So that was one thing I talked about. The other thing is to um, count the breaths. And that also requires a certain kind of strength and discipline. Like, okay, I stay there. I count it one breath. Usually I, I count the exhale. Okay, now let's, let's hang in there for the inhale so I get to the two. So I just, wait, what, did I, what did I just do? Oh, yeah, three now. What number was that? Where am I? What state am I in? <laughs> start at one. You know, just always start at one. There's no comments, no nothing. Just start at one and then do it again. And try to remember, keep track of your number. And that simple act sometimes is enough to counter the strong pull of the mind. It's like you're doing a counter force. And then things have a chance to quiet down. And then there's a thing about saying here. Where uh, I'm allowing myself to think. I'm not trying to fight it or counter it. But uh, this is more like a pure mindfulness. I use the word here, and for me that's just a reminder to say, okay, here, what is here? Let me feel it, let me, let me experience it, be present for this. And if what's happening is a mind spinning out of control, then I'll say, oh, this, I'll recognize, oh, this is what it's like to have a mind out of control. Wow. Just permission to be that way, nothing, no, not fighting it, I'm not stopping it, but I'm kind of stepping back Allowing it and recognizing, oh, this is what's happening. But then I have to do it again right away, otherwise I get pulled into it. Here. Here. And that, because I'm not feeding it, it eventually quite calms down. Does that make some sense? Okay. Another question? Anything else? It all seems pretty clear. Yes, Alfonso. Alfonso. So uh, this comes to um, practicing outside, choosing tasks. Um, I tend not to just stick with one task. It's just like whatever you're comes. doing at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that seems helpful, but I think there's also. Maybe something about sticking with one thing to kind of enforce that um, huh? concentration. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. So there's two things I think I'm understanding. So one thing is that um, you might choose a week or two to choose one regular task that you do every day and make it a specialty to really kind of learn how to be mindful there and to stay present. And the familiarity of doing the same thing uh, makes it easier and easier to kind of be present and as a reference point, that stays the same. Your mind's not the same, but it's easier to see your mind if you, the activity is the same over time. So that's one thing. The other way, maybe, to understand what you said is, um, is to say this way. I noticed many, many years ago, I, was, I had to walk through my home to get to the washing machine the, and to put the clothes in the dryer. But I had to go through a couple of rooms to get there. And I kept getting distracted by the things I saw along the way. There's the magazine. Oh, look at that. I look at that. And there's the mail. Oh, what's going on? Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do the laundry. And and, um, so what's helpful, if you want to develop mindfulness and concentration, it's really helpful to, when you decide to do something, see it all the way through. So if you're supposed to go, if what you have in mind to do is to go Go across your home and put the clothes from the washer to the dryer. Um, just do that. 
And there's nothing morally wrong. Stop and look at the mail, you know, or do something else. Or not getting there. There's nothing. You're not like, not like a bad person because you do. You don't. You don't. You know, you didn't make it to the to the washing machine. But um, but there can be a lot of benefits to developing the capacity of mind that doesn't easily get distracted and can just stay on track and focus. This is what's happening now. So I don't know if that's what you meant. Rather than kind of jumping around like. A, Great. So, um, thank you for coming and doing this. I hope this is interesting. And if, if those of you who continue with the meditation, you're always welcome to come back here. Or if you, if you're anytime, you're always welcome to come back to IMC. The IMC is an open door policy. Everyone's welcome here, no matter what your circumstances are. What the idea is to make this the goal is try to make this a comfortable and welcoming place for everyone, so they can be there, be a place to come and practice. For people who are maybe more introverts, and we've had people who come and sit in the back row for years, and they come after seven years and say, "Gil, I've been coming for seven years." And I say, "Really?" <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I was so happy to come someplace where I can be in, kind of in public and be left alone. And other people who um, they make themselves known the first day, and they come right up, and before they know it, they know everyone. Um, there's all kinds of ways in which people come here, and the, the goal is to try to make it, make it work for you and make it comfortable. And, and uh, we try not to ask anything of people except, you know, don't dance during the meditation. You know, try to be in harmony with it that way. But so we try to just let let all, you all. Anyway, we'd like you all, you all, if you want to come, that come as you are, kind of approach. And um, and then um, you're all welcome. And then. Um, I thank you for your interest, and if the meditation doesn't grab you, then maybe some of these ideas that we convey here, you'll find that useful at different times in your life and different times of the day or something. And so some of the ideas are helpful, the ideas of, of this, remember the two arrows? So maybe it's enough just to have one arrow, just don't add the second arrow. Or the idea of um, the commentary, the television and the football game and the commentary, Oh, look at that, there's the commentary. And as soon as you see the co- commentary, you're not so swept away. Or the idea of the boats going down the river. And so, you know, so oh, those thoughts, those are just a boat. I don't have to get on that boat. So there's all kinds of things. So I hope it's helpful for you. And uh, finally, thank you for being here. Um, there's a few people here. If you want to ask questions of people that, you, that have been around for a while, you can ask Hillary. And also Sally. Sally teaches this uh, stuff in the county jails. So uh, she has lots of experience with answering all kinds of questions. And you can ask Alfonso too. He's been coming for a while. He just got off a retreat. And, uh, and uh, he, he has lots, has lots to offer too from his experience. And, um, and I, I'm here too. And also Kate, who's the manager. You can check in with her. And, and I'm here for a while. So you're welcome to ask me questions. Yes. No. It's all freely offered here. So, thank you.